Well, as perhaps you can now plainly see, the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Somebody asked me, why are you all dressed up today, Tom? Come on, a little enthusiasm. Well, first of all, i got to wear this stuff every now and then because I make this stuff look good. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, uh, it is what it is. <laughs> but uh, really, because I, I felt like I wanted to do this because I have an incredible announcement to make. I know. I actually have several announcements leading up to the incredible announcement. Well, the first announcement that I have to make today is that on January 1st, the Ohio State Buckeyes will be making history by going to the first ever college football championship in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. Only one out of four, four of 128 Division One. Hello, boy, I thought that you guys would like break into OHIO. Michigan isn't going anywhere. Merry Christmas. My second great announcement. You guys ready for this? You guys ready? That in the next six to eight weeks, we will be resuming a full youth ministry, including Sunday morning options in 9 and 11 for middle schoolers and a separate one for high school kids. You guys have been so good, but your day of having to listen to me is drawn to a close. Merry Christmas. I have another announcement to make. Got a letter from our dear sister Queenie in India. And over the last few months, Cornerstone Ministries has planted 22 new churches. <laughs> yeah. In one, of the, in one of the villages, as the pastor was preaching, people fell down on the ground and began to slither on the ground like snakes, and he cast demons out of them in the name of Jesus. That's the India that I go to. I, you know, these people who go to India for a vacation, I don't know where that India is. But this is, the, this is the India that we have opportunity to impact in so many ways in the name of Jesus. I thought that was a great announcement. But here's my big announcement. Are you ready? Slightly more than 2,000 years ago, God sent his own son Jesus Christ into the world to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to die a perfect death, and to rise again in a powerful resurrection so that you can have life in his name. That's the big announcement today. That's the big announcement. J-E-S-U-S. 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 Let's give it up for Jesus. I'm so happy that you did that better than OHIO. I've got a. I felt like I was really rolling the dice on that one. Made these announcements this morning is because the third Sunday of Advent is all about an announcement made by the angel Gabriel that it's time for Jesus to come. So on the first Sunday was the prophecy candle. Seven centuries before the birth of Christ, Isaiah said, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light is dawned. Right? 
Waiting, waiting. What were you doing while you were waiting? Preparing, getting ready, getting ready, repenting, turning our hearts toward God. This is the third candle, the Annunciation candle. It's about the announcement. And the announcement is that it's time. It's time for Jesus Christ to come into the world. That's what we celebrate at this step in the Advent, is that it's time for Jesus Christ to be a part of our lives. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, or your phones, or iPads, or whatever. What is the thing now? I don't know. My cell phone still has a crank on the side of it, so. Sparky. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month. What? No. In the sixth month of what? Oh, yeah, wait a minute. Don't go so fast. Context is everything, right? Well, you'll have to read around a little bit to catch hold of that. Thank you. You may go. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You know, when an angel comes, that's the kind of thing you want to hear first, right? But Mary was still greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll be with child. Is that good news? She's just engaged. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. Salvation is with us. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. We are participants in his kingdom. That is the point of being a Christian, is not to have a religion, but to be participants in the kingdom of God. So Mary heard this, and she says, How will this be? Mary asked the angel, Since I am a virgin. Reasonable question. How will a baby, a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. Oh, there we go. That answers that question. For nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that? Listen to her response. This is a lot to take in. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Lord, as we come on your word this morning, we're people who are hungry for you. None of these people came to hear me, Lord. They came because they're hungry for you. So we ask you to come. Speak to our hearts. Get into the places where only you can get. Say the things that only you know about us. We're hungry for you, God. We've been waiting for you, and we're hungry for you. So I pray that 
as we continue through whatever you have next here, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will speak words of life. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, Lord, will be, will be acceptable and pleasing and useful to you, Lord, so that you can speak freely to these sons and daughters that you love so much. So come, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the announcement. It's time. It's time. They waited. They waited. You, I guess in a grand scheme, you could kind of think of this as the pregnancy period, right? The 700-year pregnancy. <laughs> wow, you ladies are hard to live with in nine months. I can't imagine 700. We have the much harder part of the deal, by the way. The preparation... <laughs> uh, the preparation, the getting the stuff ready, and now it's time. It's time. You remember, guys, when she looked at you and said, uh, it's time. And you moved. You did something. You responded to it's time. Well, that's what this is about. It's time. They've been waiting 700 years. They've been getting ready. And now the angel comes and says, It's time comes to Mary, it's time, and I'm going to use you. This announcement comes with a thrust, a thrust with a, with a couple of obvious points for us. The first is that Jesus of Nazareth was and is the promised Messiah. He's the one. He's the one promised. If you look back in the passage, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee. God, sent, God started this whole thing. God reached out to us. God said, this is the one. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Why a virgin? Well, because of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Maybe you've got your Bibles ready to go there, or you can probably click at it or whatever I'll do, or 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and you call him Emmanuel. Well, I thought his name was Jesus. Look, in the day, the name, or a series of names given to a person, was a description of not only their character, but the mission that they would fulfill. Today, we name this person, that person, this person. We name this person after that person. And we don't give the same kind of opportunity, perhaps, can't speak for everyone, as much of opportunity for the Lord to come and speak to us and say, what shall that child's name be? But clearly, this was all part of the will of God. And so the fact that Jesus is... Here, Emmanuel, and you will call him named Jesus there. Jesus is, was the contemporary equivalent of Joshua. Yeshua was the contemporary equivalent of Joshua in the Old Testament, which means salvation is with us, which is true of the character and nature and mission of Jesus. And it also, Emmanuel is God is with us. So it's not just that Jesus came to save us from our sins, but that he came as God, that Jesus is God. Emmanuel, Jesus is God. He's not sort of God. He's not half God. He's God. He's not a prophet, as the other prophets were. He's God. Emmanuel with us. Or Emmanuel, God is with us. Make sense? And as we read this, we're we're seeing that because of the fulfillment of still another messianic prophecy of the Old Testament, one so specific that the Son would come through a virgin, that it's saying, this is the one. This announcement, this is the promised Messiah. Don't look for another one. This is the one you've been looking for. Some people struggle with the virgin birth. 
They're like, I don't know. You know, I really like to believe all this stuff you guys talk about, but I have issues. You have issues. Everybody has issues when they read the Bible, no doubt. I hope you have issues. You're not having issues, you're not reading it carefully enough. And some people get to that virgin birth thing and they go, you know, that's kind of where I fall off the truck because it doesn't make sense to me. Is the virgin birth a real thing? Well, you can find a number of Bible commentators who will explain it this way. They will say that the term virgin did not necessarily have to refer to someone who was a virgin in the technical sense, if you will, but referred to a young woman. And so freely, you know, that... uh, that word was applied to a young woman. And so they were saying that, you know, while Mary maybe was not a virgin in the technical sense, that will help you through that. Well, the problem with that is this, is that what you're trying to do when you do that sort of thing with the Bible is you're trying to crowd, crowd your understanding of the Bible into something that is only understood with a humanistic logic. Now, I want you to take your sort of natural onboard sense of logic, your humanistic logic. And then I want you to add a component to it. And the component I want you to add to it is God. Actually, add him to your logic structure. Add him his reality, his existence, his activity, his love for you in your life. Bring God into your logic structure and then begin to interpret the Bible. So if you're only trying to understand it From a humanistic standpoint, you're going to go, virgin birth, come on, it must have been something else. Well, you're going to have a problem with that when you get to verse 34. Because when the angel announced this to Mary, what did she say? How will this be? How am I going to have a baby since I am a virgin? Would she be saying, how can this be since I'm a young woman? Young women have babies all the time, don't they? Hello? But she was saying, how can this be? I've never been with the man. I'm a virgin. How am I going to bear a child? And the answer was clear. But you have to factor in, in your interpretive grid, in your logical perspective, the existence and the activity of God as a point of logic. Is this making sense? You've got to bring that in. The book of Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God or know God. For whoever comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So when you make the decision, if you will, to believe in the existence and the activity of God, then that contributes a new factor into your, the thing you used to call logic. And so it's expanded. And so stuff like this is like, oh, well, here's the answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and you go, oh, well, that's how it happened then. Now, if you're stuck without God in that picture, you're going, it still doesn't make any sense to me, right? So really, it's a matter of faith. It always comes back to that. But what will happen is that as you go through stuff like this in the Bible, every attempt to sort of crowd the unexplainable without the God factor, crowd it into some humanistic kind of explanation like virgin means young woman. Every time you try to push the word of God into something like that to make it fit, what's happening is you're stifling your own spiritual experience. 
you're, you're, you're actually shutting it down, and what happens is you will become prey for something called empty religion. Because inside of you is still a desire for God. You came here today not for religion. You came here today to experience God, I hope. Because we suck at religion here. Because religious people don't say, suck, when the pastor's talking, right? I mean, there's an example. Am I right? We suck at religion. We don't even try to do it well. Because I hope you never settle for religion that fits into your humanistic logic and plugs the hole where God is meant to be in the dynamic experience of the living God through His Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, glad I got that off my chest. Because you'll still long for God. You know, I think the fact that this whole virgin birth thing doesn't make complete sense to my humanistic logic only adds to my belief that it's got to be God. Because if I could explain everything about God, you should run away. Because I'm not talking about God anymore, right? All right. How am I doing? Thanks. Appreciate that. Here is the announcement that came to Mary. Jesus of Nazareth was born of a virgin named Mary who was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit to bear our long-awaited and desperately needed Messiah, Jesus Christ, into the world. That's the announcement. He was, and he is. It's not just that he was once, so just agree with that, but that he is. Have dynamic relationship with the one who is, the Bible says, seated at the right hand of God, interceding for your sins. He was, he is. Glory. You can always have confidence in the word of God. The Bible says something, it's true. You may not understand how it's true for a while, it's true. Take you to the bank. All right. Second thing I think this announcement really underscores for us is that God is worth waiting for. They waited a long time, yeah? Mary was part of a people who had waited for 700 years for this. That's a long time. And what was her response? What was her response? Verse 38. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you've said. Her response was, bring it. I'm ready. Bring it. I'm ready. Is that your heart? Is that your heart? Bring it, Lord. I'm ready. Bring it, Lord. I mean, the good news is, is you're not going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and give birth to an immaculate conception, give birth to a Savior. That's done. But there's something for you. There's something for you. You've got to say, bring it. And they'd waited a long time. But I want, I want to treat that issue with you for just a couple minutes. Listen, waiting. Waiting is an essential part of your discipleship. Waiting for God is such an essential part of your life as a disciple. The waiting period. Just waiting for him to fulfill his promises waiting for him to do the thing inside of you that you sense he wants to do or that you've maybe seen done in others and you're wondering, hey, when's that going to be my turn? Waiting for God is an essential part of the process. When you wait, when you wait, 
You give God opportunity to bear fruit. You give God opportunity to dig a place for his presence. You know, when a tree bears fruit, it doesn't like, boom, fruit, right? The spring comes, just kind of hangs out, right? There's a tree. And over time, you know, you got the flowers, you got the bees coming around, doing their bee thing, you got a little fruit coming. But without the waiting, the full fruit doesn't come. Some of you are waiting. You're waiting for God. I want to promise you, that's an essential part of the process, is waiting for God. He's getting ready to be fully in you. Now, we suck at waiting, don't we, in our society? Oh my gosh, yesterday, so we're out Christmas shopping. My favorite. I got an idea, let's go to Walmart. Actually, it wasn't bad. They were, it wasn't there. It was, I got really hungry. I know, I was starving, feeling weak. I said before, honey, we go to anywhere else, we got to go through the drive-thru. You know, McDonald's, health food. So come back over 71, you know, and get in the line like 12, 15 on Saturday, two Saturdays before Christmas, you know, I backed out. You're waiting. I'm waiting. I don't have that kind of time. I'm pretty sure I'm going to die of starvation <laughs> in the next few minutes. And then you get up there to that place. Who's freaking, I guess religious people don't say that either. Who's, who's flipping brilliant idea is it to say, well, when you get up here, you can split. And you can pick your speaker. You know what I'm talking about? And, you get, and that's a crapshoot, right? You're never not sure which line is really, because people don't, pay, don't mind. The guy who was behind me ended up in front of me. That's not a good system. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Can I get a witness? Unless you're the guy who gets in front, right? And it's a good system. I was seven minutes waiting for my food. Seven minutes. I don't have that kind of time. Do you? I don't know what you said, but I'm not playing, okay? <laughs> Listen. There's power, there's purpose in the waiting on God. Psalm 46.10, we've been over this a thousand times. It says, be still and know that I'm God. You've got to be still if you want to experience God. You've got to be still. Now, in America today, that means we're sit. Okay, I'm ready. Hello. Be still. Be still. Remain still. The Hebrew on that word is literally translated cease striving. Cease striving. Stop trying. Stop. Be still. And know that I'm God. I was teaching some pastors a couple of years ago of spiritual formation, some church planters down in Cincinnati, and I took with me a jar of pond water, actually creek water from the hill branch behind my house. You know, it's just a jar about this big. And I was teaching, trying to teach them, you guys, and all that's going to be demanded of you as you plant these churches, you've got to be still before God or you won't know what you're doing. And everybody says, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And they don't. And so what I did was, I I shook this thing up. 
and just stuck it here while I was teaching for a couple days, you know. And it was all murky and mucky in the beginning. And then just over time, if you just leave it alone, you know what I'm talking about, right? All that stuff, fall to the bottom, and that murky water becomes crystal clear. Be still. Let it settle. Then you'll experience God. It takes some waiting. Sometimes people give up on waiting. They get impatient. They say, I'm going I'm to do it another way. Danger. When people give up on waiting for a true encounter with the living God, then they're prey to one of the most dangerous and detrimental weapons of Satan, and that's empty religion. Because religion is the thing people make up when they get tired of waiting for God. Did you hear that? Religion is the thing people make up when they get tired of waiting for God. Because you got that desire. And if God doesn't fulfill it fast enough, somebody will suggest something to you that really isn't a step in his direction. It's kind of a placeholder. And if you keep observing the placeholders made by man, eventually you'll stop waiting for God. You know what I'm talking about. And this can be in very formal situations, but this can also be in informal situations even like ours, where we just accept something as a substitute for God. I'm going to give you an illustration here for just a couple of minutes. And if you compare Isaiah chapter 6 with Exodus chapter 32, I think my point will be made. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. And then it says that he saw all these heavenly beings... And they were crying out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Verse 4 says, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, that's a pretty good day in church, huh? Will that do? That, is that an encounter with God? Well, listen, he says, Woe to me. I'm ruined from a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Suddenly he says, What am I doing in here? I don't belong in here. But God remedied that. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's a good day in church. Now compare that with Exodus chapter 32. So by this time, these Israelites, they'd, they're out in the wilderness. They'd left Egypt all behind him. Moses was up on the mountain. He was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments and the other things God had to say to them. And look at what the people did when they got tired of waiting. Now this was a people who had seen the Shekinah glory of God, who had seen the Red Sea parted. But even, even they got tired of waiting. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain. It's been seven minutes. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Forget Moses. 
He took all the risk. He led them out. He's been up there too long. Forget about him. Aaron, Moses' stand-up brother, answered them and says, Take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Could he have broken any more commandments in one fell swoop? Then they said, or then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. They got tired of waiting, so they made up a religion. Because why? Because they have a thirst for God. And if you don't wait for God to come and meet you, you'll be tempted to settle for religion. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. To the Lord? The calf Lord? So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. That's where religion goes. Doesn't satisfy your true hunger for God. Look, I know that every church is trying to make their own way. They're trying to figure this out as they go. But I have to address an issue that I'm reluctant to address because it sounds like I'm being judgmental. But I fear for some of your safety. And the question is, what about Mary? What about this virgin Mary? And what about the veneration of Mary or the worship of Mary or praying to Mary? What about this? Was Mary special? Absolutely. Mary was chosen by the grace of God for a unique mission. Something that would only ever happen once in the course of history. So of course she was special. But what was it that made her special? Was she divine? Was she somehow divine? Did she have a divine character to herself so that now people could be encouraged to revere her, seek her forgiveness, or worship her? And I know that some of you have come from traditions where that was very much a part of where you came from. And you're still trying to sort out which of that back then was good and which wasn't, what was real and what wasn't, what was relationship and what was religion. And I respect your struggle. But I want to give you some facts about Mary. And the first is that the veneration of Mary appears nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible is there a single verse that would support lifting Mary up as having some kind of a divine quality to her. We admire her, of course. I mean, the best thing that was ever said of her is when Jesus on the cross said to John, hey, take care of my mom. Take care of my mom. I think, second, you should know that the worship of Mary did not appear until the 4th century following the Edict of Milan. That's when Constantine declared that it was okay for people to be Christians. You won't be killed in the Roman Empire if you're a Christian, and so Christians were coming out of the woodwork, and it was kind of open season on worship, and Christians began worshiping Mary, but it wasn't, it wasn't until the 4th century. So for more than 300 years, 
Christians were not doing this because it wasn't in the scripture. It wasn't a part of the initial concept and thrust of God in the church. I think you should know that the veneration of Mary was not made official by the Roman Catholic Church until the 5th century following the Third Ecumenical Council. So what happened in the next century was that the Catholic Church had to make a decision because people are saying, hey, can we worship Mary? Hey, can we pray to Mary? Hey, can we hail Mary? Hey, can we do this? And so at this council, it was discussed. You probably won't care that much about this, but whether her nature was Theotokos or Christostokos, see, that answers everything right there, right? And the difference was, you know, was she a human agent who was uniquely chosen by God as a human to bear Christ into the world, or did she somehow have also a divine quality to her that made her eligible to be chosen for that? And it was a, it was a split decision by the Third Ecumenical Council, but the, the, weight of the, the, the majority said this. They said, we had better say that there was a divine quality to her, or else the people, the rank-and-file people of the church, may not believe in the divinity of Jesus. So it was to keep the business going. And I think the other thing you should know about the veneration and worship of Mary is that even after then, it didn't even flourish in the Catholic Church until the Middle Ages. Now, I don't know how much history you know, but there wasn't a lot of good stuff that came out of the church in the Middle Ages. Please, don't settle for religion while you're waiting for God. Wait for God. Mary was a unique human individual who has no more special place in heaven than anyone else who lived their life in such surrendered obedience to the will of God. Please, please, don't drift into religion. Don't change lanes while you're waiting for God. Because the Bible says that he's coming. The Bible says they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. He'll come. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. How long you got to wait? How long you got to wait, Tom? I've been waiting for so long. Listen, I waited for almost 10 years before I heard my first word from God. I sought him every day with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. As a new pastor, I locked myself in little rooms in the church buildings I was serving. I sat in there with my Bible and my guitar, and I called out to God, and I said, Lord, I'm going to stay in here until one of us blinks. I know you're there. I can't do this with my life. I can't be a priest in a religion. Nine years later, he blinked. I was in my car. That's religious. I was in my car on my way as a representative of the denomination of which I was a part to discipline a pastor for being too free in the church because he was using an overhead projector to sing songs. That's bad. 
And the Lord came and visited me in my little Dodge Dart. And I sovereignly began speaking in tongues, which is something I had never even heard anybody do before. It's worth the wait. But you've got to wait. Don't give up waiting. Don't settle for the hocus-pocus of any religion. Even this one. Don't settle for it. Get in line. Wait for God. Get in line. Wait for God. Get in the waiting on God line. It's worth the wait. I was praying about this this morning, and out on the wall early, the Lord said, be sure to tell them how it is that they go about getting in the line. Some people are saying, I'd be glad to wait in the line. How do you get in the line? You've got to know Christ. You've got to know Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord of your life. How do I get there? Four things. Number one, you've got to repent. You've got to repent. You've got to turn from your sin and turn to God. If you're still facing all your sin, if you're still rationalizing all of your sin, whatever it is, you're not waiting for God. You're pointed the wrong way. You've got to turn to God. The Bible says, repent then and turn to God, Acts 3.19. That times of refresh, that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Have you repented and turned to God? Second, you've got to confess. You've got to confess your sin. As you turn to God, you confess, I'm a sinner, Lord. I make no argument with you, a holy God, righteous holy God. I do not argue against that. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, will forgive us our sins, Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if you don't confess, you're not in the line. The Bible also says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If you're just still cherishing your sin, you're not in the line. The Bible says you've got to receive, third. You've got to receive Christ. John 1.12 says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's how you get in his line, by receiving Christ. By asking Jesus Christ to come in, take charge, be your Savior, forgive you of all of your sins, be your Lord, chart the direction of your life, tell you what your next steps are. And that's the fourth thing, you've got to follow. You've got to follow him. It's about follow. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you're following him. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will find it. You've got to follow him. How do I do that, Tom? You start reading this thing. Start in the New Testament. And when you get to something that goes, I think I should be doing that, do it. And if you say, I can't, it's hard. Say, God, it's hard. And watch the Holy Spirit come and give you the strength to do the thing he's called you to do. felt called to say that this morning by the Lord because I felt called that, that there's somebody here today who would like to give their life to Jesus Christ to save your Lord of their life like Amanda did in the first service. And she came and heard this message and authentically gave her life to Jesus Christ. First time here. And there's people sitting out there right now who say, I that sounds like something I need to do. I'm getting something now that I didn't get before. And I want to get in the line. I want to get in the line waiting for God. 
And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to give you, if that's you, if you're saying, that sounds like something I'm ready to do, to ask Jesus Christ into my life the way you just said it. In the moment the music will begin, and I'm going to have you guys come right down here, and I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray with you personally to ask Jesus Christ into your life. And there are others of you who are here today, and I felt this burden from the Lord this morning that you're just having trouble waiting. You're like, ah, I think I might go back. You're in the line, and you know it. I want you to get some prayer. We're going to have some prayer ministry people up over here on the sides. The music will start, and I want you to go over to them. Just say, that's the prayer I need right to die. I just need the strength to wait. So in just a moment, we're going to begin. And you can be one of those two people, or you can go over to these people for any kind of prayer that's on your heart today, anything that you need. But I want to encourage you to follow the stirring that's inside your heart. Lord in heaven... You are God. How can it even be? How can it even appeal to our feeble logic that the God of the universe, the infinite God of the universe, could know us, could love us, could long for us, except for the gospel? Lord, it only makes sense when we consider the reality of the gospel. That's the picture that changes the picture. That's the logic that changes the logic. And so, God, I pray for this church today. I pray that in our few minutes together this morning that the power of the Holy Spirit will come and that you will embolden those who are being stirred to come into relationship with you to make the journey from where they are so they can receive prayer, so they can make their public confession of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives. I pray for those who are just tired of waiting. They just feel like their hand's about to slip off the rope. Power of God come for them. Strengthen their grip, Lord. Encourage their heart as you continue to prepare space in them for your coming to them. Thank you, Father, for this church, for the church where we do what we feel led to do in the context of your word. Thank you that we have no superior to answer to except you. Thank you, Lord, that I am not a priest, but a brother. Thank you, Lord, for this place, and I pray for the kingdom move of your Holy Spirit now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together, church.